Welcome back to Angling Solutions, a podcast by Red's Fly Shop, and I'm your host, Joe Roeder. This is where we help fly fishermen solve problems. Today is going to be an interview with James St. Clair after day four in Ascension Bay. This was James's first ever flats fishing trip, and he caught all sorts of stuff. We nicknamed him the Bonefish Virgin. So enjoy the podcast and stick around because we'll do another interview with him after all six and a half days on the flats. So enjoy the podcast. We hope you learned something. All right, welcome back. It's uh, evening, day four, the Bonefish Virgins, first trip to Ascension Bay, fishing the flats. So uh, I'm your host, Joe Roeder, on the Angling Solutions Podcast, and with me is my fishing partner here, James Jaime St. Clair. Howdy. Yeah. <laughs> we're pretty wiped. We were on the flats for how many hours today? Ten plus. Ten plus hours. We twisted the kids' arms into letting us do something kind of cool uh, after the trip, but we got dropped off and did some do-it-yourself fishing in some lagoons. Uh, anybody who's fished Ascension Bay may know this place, but it's called Bonefish Paradise or Paradiso, and uh, we fished there till just about dark. Yeah. Nope. 6.30? Yeah, we couldn't see. I mean, you could see nervous water, and we were chasing bulges and chasing tailing fish around the lagoon. It was absolutely amazing, beautiful, kind of one of those zen-like spiritual fly fishing experiences because there's, like, there's not a noise. There's nobody with you. You are by yourself. I mean, you could see other people in this huge lagoon, but we were hundreds and hundreds of yards away from a half mile at times, away from one another, and you don't have a guide. Not that the guides bug you, but you don't have a guide bugging you. You know, like, it's just you, and so, at least for me, I feel like my senses kind of cue up. Like, uh, you know, I, I hear things, I hear ripples, I hear splashes, and I see things, and I sense things a lot better. Uh, how cool was that to finish off our day-to-day? Oh, I thought it was awesome. It was, uh, it was for me, it was kind of a combination of hunting and fishing. So, just like, you know, just like Joe said, it's, I mean, yeah, your senses get totally dialed in, you're ripping your head around it. every little noise you hear that could be anything, and then... You know, when you do see a tailing bonefish, you know, you're hunting them. You're kind of chasing them down, and they're swimming the way you don't want them to swim. And then, you know, you're trying to, I mean, I followed a group of three or four for 500 yards, and they just wouldn't slow down. I mean, you try and walk faster, they swim a little faster. (laughs) Then you get close, you slow down, then they slow down a little. I mean, it's hard to catch up with them, but uh, yeah, just just amazing to kind of, do it yourself, but it also goes to show how much uh, how much those guides really do help help you spot fish and you know tell you exactly where to cast. Um, a little bit a little bit humbling, you know, when you think you're a pretty good fly fisherman and then you end up out there and you're like, why am I not? Ca- I can see the fish. Why am I not catching anything? So, oh yeah, it, I mean, it was it's such a unique experience to go do that to bonefish fish at dusk, you know, without the aid of a guide, especially right. Like, we are in this real shallow flat, and the thing that I struggled with immensely, and I bonefish fished by myself just a little bit. You know, I try to set aside a few minutes a day or or an hour a day, at least on other trips I've been on, like Christmas Island, where the bonefish fishing is really good, and I just tell the guy, hey, shadow me for like an hour. You know, and I get to, I'm certainly not as productive, but I get better at spotting the fish because I'm responsible for that, but... The thing I struggled with tonight is there were those schools of mullet, you know, yep. and for anybody that doesn't know much about saltwater fish, mullet are not a species that we're targeting on the fly. They just don't 
take or eat flies. They're bait. They're bait. <laughs> and they're, they're big enough to actually make some waves, you know, so you're in this, you know, ankle to shin deep lagoon that, that's like a mile long, you know, it's huge, super vast. There's mangrove, little pockets of mangrove islands and some sticks here and there and some natural structures. So it's, the setting is spectacular. And these mullet will move around and it's, it's subtle. In, in the guides can tell the difference between a school of mullet and how they push awake or make waves in the water and like the vibration of the water. They can identify a group of mullet like instantly. It is, as easily as we can recognize when, you know, a, a, a yellow light's gonna turn red, you know, driving down the road, they go, no, it's mullet. And it's actually pronounced mullet. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. But, you know, so when I was by myself, I like, I spent a lot of time like just chasing these darn mullet only to find out and get close to them. I'm like, Dang it, I think those are mullet. You know, it's just they make more of a vibration than a steady push, like a bonefish tends to to make a heavier wave and then, you know, naturally that shallow water at, at in the wee the wee hours of daylight, we're seeing bonefish tailing. Which dude, how exciting is a tailing bonefish? Yeah, I mean that was just awesome to see. I mean I've seen a couple so far on the trip, um, but I mean we were literally chasing tailing bonefish all over the place and yeah, like we were saying, I mean, they're quick and, you know, they they turn real quick. You know, you'll have your cast out in the air thinking it's perfect, and then all of a sudden they turn the other way. So it's 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 a difficult thing to do to try and catch one of those on your own. And, uh, yeah, it's just real. I mean, the tail gets you excited. I actually had, it was funny, I was walking around and kicking up some mud, and I kept hearing a little splash, and I was kind of following it, and I got close, and I was like, oh, my gosh. There's a huge bonefish tail. I almost thought it was a permit tail because it was really long and pointy. Got close enough, realized it was a stingray. <laughs> and his tail was, you know, he was kind of swirling around and his tail was coming up out of the water. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, but same kind of thing with the mullet. Yeah, there was all sorts of stuff swimming around in there. But that's how we finished off our night. And it's, we're back at the lodge. We got back late. Uh, we got back about 7.15 and then... Uh, uh, did a little quick happy hour, had some dinner, and uh, we just came back upstairs to debrief on the podcast. But let's bring uh, folks up to speed on, you know, we only have like an hour, um, but let's try to bring people up to speed on what has happened the last three days, because there is a lot to catch up on. So yeah. I think we left off, you and I had fished on day one, and then... And then I, I know that I fished with Scott Barter and, and John uh, yesterday. So, um, yeah, I'll give a little breakdown of, of my couple of days, I guess. But, I mean, there was so much that happened. Uh, <laughs> I'll probably forget some stuff. But uh, I guess that would have been Monday. So let's go by days of the week. So Monday I fished with Scotty. And uh, we, we kind of left it. It was windy and cloudy. We had... Uh, I hate to use the word poor weather because it's still 80 degrees, right? Yeah, like, still beautiful. You people back home are listening <laughs> to this going, poor weather, it's 80 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> Grab me a river. Uh, but it was not great visibility, but our guy did a, did a really good job. I mean, there's a, and there's a lot of chance, right, like in the flats fishing. Like you wind up on the right flat and you get a couple, couple of good opportunities and, you know, you make a good cast. The outcome of your day is greatly altered by one or two casts. This is an extremely high stakes environment of which we are fishing, right? Because we'd like to tell you there's, you know, you get 20 opportunities a day at a high stakes species. And high stakes, we're going to call like a more mature snook, 
certainly a permit, a tarpon, a good-sized cuda, or maybe trophy jackerball. You know, those or are even the... Even a big bonefish, too. Yeah, or even a trophy... big single bonefish, yeah. Certainly a, certainly a big single, you know, or a double in the flats, you know, like a four to five-pound bonefish, uh, which, you know, is spectacular. I mean, I, I've only caught a handful of five-pounders down in this destination, but... Scott and I went, and uh, our we kind of left it up to the guide. We we didn't dictate, you know, at all. We just said, you know, let's just go fishing. And I think the only thing we told them is we kind of like, excuse me, we kind of like to stay close to the mangroves. I don't know why we said that, but we're like, I kind of like to stay close to the mangroves. We always just like got a good feeling that if we're close to shore, we're going to see something. And honestly, I think it's because we don't spot the fish nearly as well. When you're close to the shore, you typically have more of that white sand in most of the bay, and I can identify the fish a lot better, which gives me a leg up when I go to make my shot. If I'm casting at a mirage, I reduce my odds of actually catching that fish by about half. But we started plugging along, and, and I can't remember how all the events went, but we got some great shots at Bones. Um, I shot, I knocked out a, a great tailing bonefish in the morning. Scott got a nice one. Uh, I learned, I'll just insert this right now, but I learned quite a bit um, when we were when we we're mixing permit and bonefish fishing. So twice this week, uh, and and I did land a fantastic permit on day three, which I'm gonna <laughs> mention that now in case I forget <laughs> later, which I won't, but I landed a really good permit. But I did learn on day two uh, something that I didn't really know before, but when you're fishing permit around schools of bonefish, that are making uh, any kind of mud, and, and the guides will actually see the mud, and they'll orbit the mud looking for permit, the fly selection becomes critical. And man, you and I both have, I mean, way too many, what we would assume is way too many flies, right? Man, I mean, I can use more flies, like, because they, they really are picky, like the guides, and they're not. I don't think they're just being prima donnas about it. I think that they there's times they want, they absolutely need a heavy shrimp pattern. There's times they absolutely need a large but lightweight shrimp pattern, which is not as common, right? Like a bigger shrimp with bead chain eyes is not as common. And I caught my permit on day one on uh, that bonefish junk fly, which is a bigger shrimp but has bead chain eyes. And it was an exact scenario. And they said that if you use you, you know, the lead eyes fly, it'll sink too fast and bonefish which swim deeper than permit will intercept that heavy fly before the permit can get it because bonefish are more aggressive. And I thought that was a great tip, you know, just based on fly selection to make sure that I've got some large, lightly weighted shrimp patterns, uh, which I, I mean, fortunately I, I have a handful of those, but I certainly would, you know, the diversity of your fly selection be, has become incredibly important. I have used a bazillion flies this trip. Yeah. Yeah, we change. We, I can't believe the amount of times we've changed flies. Yeah, I mean, just and and it's not like you're losing a lot of flies. You just constantly like. I mean, you catch a fish on one, and all of a sudden they're cutting it off and putting another one on. You're like, well, what happened? We just caught fish on that one. Why? What? What changed? Yeah, and the mojo was high. Why? Why? Yeah, I would cut that off. But I I did learn that. Uh, yeah, I've just learned so much. There's so, I mean, I didn't know where to begin. I mean, that is my ninth time here, and I'm still learning. But uh, I ended up, uh, we're pulling along, and we're catching these great bonefish. And then, uh, man, I shoot out, shoot and knock out a fantastic snook um, on day two, which is great. Um, I got probably 10 to 12-pound snook 
uh, which was just great. So I'm pretty psyched about that. But the snook, like when you when you're in the ponga boat and you are the back seat guy, you have got to be ready. Like you can't like, and it depends on how seriously you want to catch fish. Like I, you know, I don't think I'm you know a Nazi about it, but I I like to catch fish. If I'm here and I come all this way, I've dreamt about taking home some good photos. That those that's what keeps me alive in the off season, man. I. <laughs> I gotta admit, I scan back through my fishing photos from time to time. I'm having, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, getting the blues and uh, about the fishing blues. I scroll back through those; they keep me going. So I like to catch fish. Um, so being in the back seat when the snook popped up, fortunately, you know, I'm always asking my guide, you know, what do you think the number two species? Is? It's a great way to work with your boat partner. Is I'm happy to give my boat partner, you know, and you and I are gonna fish together tomorrow. It's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like. Hey James, you want to be on the deck and hold the permit rod, or do you want to be on the deck and hold the tarpon rod? Because whatever you don't choose is what I'm going to have in my hand. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so if you're if you're an active boat partner and you have a good relationship, you know, like that. So Scott was on the bow. I I caught the snook from the number two position. So Scott's on the bow, knocking out you know an occasional bonefish, having a great time. He threw at some big jacks that were cruising by. I mean, these were like 25 to 30 pound jacks, which jacks are like the strongest fighting saltwater fish. I mean, they're just absolutely incredible. Uh, originally, they thought they were permit. So Scotty had had a really good shot, and then he's knocking out a couple of bonefish. So I sat number two, but I had my snook rod, and I was using that little sage bass rod. Oh yeah, sweet. That little largemouth rod, it's like seven foot ten inches, and it's great for flipping flies at reasonable distances. And I say reasonable is like for me, that would be like sub sixty feet. You know, it'll certainly throw further than that. But I, I like it because it makes a very short, very accurate, quick cast. I can just pick it up. And in tropical fishing, there's no roll casting, so rod length like is not really an issue. Nine feet is like the longest rod you would use. You, you wouldn't really even like a nine and a half foot rod. It'd be too taxing to cast the wind. So I take that little sage bass rod and I just make a great, I mean, it was a one shot kill. It was textbook, but snook. So snook are like, when they, they live under the mangroves a lot, but man, when you get them out in the open sand, like this is where we were in this situation, yeah. snook are relatively easy. Like compared to most of the other species, like this snook was like, he must've been migrating kind of like between homes. <laughs> he was on his commute. And the thing was just trucking right along the, the sandy shore. I didn't have to throw really close to the sticks at all. So I was able to take and, and lead him and uh, made a one-shot kill, just perfect shot. And uh, it was an incredibly hard cast, but it, you know, a lot of the casting isn't super long. You know, I would stress, like, practice your casting as much as you possibly can because when you get high-stakes shots in these situations, uh you want to be able to capitalize on them and being able to generate a good amount of line speed very quickly so that you can blast a, a quick 40 foot or one false cast and drop it at 40 feet. Those fish are going to be, you know, they're not fleeing, but your opportunity is windows closing. Would you, would you agree with that? No, oh, totally. I mean, I, yeah, I take way too many false casts. Like I thought I was like, Oh, I came down here. I'm a great caster, you know? And they're like, Oh, you cast great, but you need to drop it like three casts ago. So I was like, uh, like every time I'm false casting, they're like, drop it, drop it, drop it. And I'm like, well, I'm just, yeah. So I've gotten better over the past couple of days at that. But uh, yeah, you're not in general, you're not making, I mean, I've had to make a couple really long casts, um, you know, just more for, if 
fun. Oh, Castaway out there, I think I saw something, you know, and, um, but, but most of the time, yeah, these fish move quick, they're moving different directions, they change directions all the time. And so you need to, just like Joe said, yeah, pick it up, one false cast, a lot of line speed, and drop it down. Mm-hmm. And it's really important, I mean, what I've noticed every day is that you're going to fight the wind a little bit every day, and it's not like it's blowing where you can't make a cast, but you need to be able to adjust to what that wind is going to do to your fly line and your fly. And, uh, you know, if you, if you don't have a lot of line speed, that fly will end up behind the fish <laughs> and then you have to pick it up again and try and throw it and then you know like like joe said your opportunities fly i mean they're gone in in a less than 10 seconds yep i mean these fish are moving constantly looking for food i didn't realize that and there's situations like tonight where they're they're moving a lot slower but a lot of times when you're in the boat standing on the deck and you're on a flat the fish are moving around really quickly. And even today walking, I, I noticed that. we It was funny. I saw a bonefish tail about 60 feet in front of me. Then a cloud came over, and we, lo- you know, we lost it. I was, we didn't see it tail again. And all of a sudden, about 30 seconds later, the cloud had passed. And my guide was like, oh, gosh, darn it. The school of bonefish was already back behind us, and they were big bonefish. And they moved that quick. I mean, it you know, it's they're moving. They're moving around looking for food. So yeah, the line speed and and yeah, one pick it up and drop it down. Yeah, the saltwater cast. When I first started coming down here, I thought I was a really good caster. And there's just a different stroke. You yeah. you have to learn to get in the butt of the rod. You have to learn how to bring it low, and then just you know, great architecture for the cast. Meaning the loop has to be very tight. You know, you have to have the tight loop and. You know, I'm off on a tangent now to do a whole other podcast <laughs> about this, but I wound up under rod. You know, I was I was under gun this afternoon. We were cat where we were walking for those bones, and I was having to throw a really long cast because they were moving around a lot. It was like the ultimate game of whack a mole, right? Like right, the tail pops right. up here, <laughs> and you can't really see the fish in that low light, but I could see them tailing, and I'm shooting at one over here and shooting at one over here, and I was. Man, I was struggling. I was having to go like, you know, from a 40-footer here to like legitimately like 70, 80-foot, about as, as far as I could possibly cast into that wind. And I'm using a really old rod. I'm using a Sage VPS. That's still, like, you're still using that, huh? Yeah, it's, like, it's ancient. And I, I loaned Todd my, my, my favorite rod oh, because he forgot his. And I still like the rod. It's a very sentimental attachment. Or I have a sentimental attachment to it. And there's pros to a softer action rod. Sometimes those little quick flips and roll casts and the short stuff from the boat. So I could argue for, you know, extreme fast action rods or softer action rods. I could argue both sides of that. But uh, the, main, the main thing is just, you know, practice your casting before you go. I think it's time well spent. But so I knock, I knock the snook out. So we're kind of back on day two. We'll just kind of give you the highlights. And, uh, and then it started pouring. The sky opened up, and it was an absolutely torrential tropical rainstorm. Um, it came down in buckets. So uh, that was, you know, I want to say, I can't remember what we exactly we did after that. We stopped and fished uh, a couple more flats, but we knocked out some nice bonefish, and I got that good snook, and that was kind of the result of my catch there, uh, there that day. But we did, some of the bonefish we got were really really nice and scotty broke off a couple of big ones that just man the rate of acceleration on those things is unbelievable and he busted a couple off that were were exceptional but uh let's hear the the highlights from your day two 
yeah, so day two was uh, was really cool. Um, so I fished with uh, with Chris, and we both said we kind of wanted to do tarpon and snook. And you know, as Joe's already mentioned, the weather was, you know, it was it was difficult to see. And uh, it was great though. The first, I mean, we went uh, we went through Snake Island, which is about halfway down to where where we mostly fish. And did you um, did you see that crocodile today? We did Snake not Island. See the yeah, there's about twelve footer there. No way. Yeah, oh, that's a huge one. I haven't I haven't seen a crocodile yet. Lots of sharks though. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we went down just past Snake Island, not too far to like the first kind of mangrove we saw. And uh, gosh, we pulled right up on it, and he cut the cut the motor. Guides cut the motor, and uh, instantly we see a tarpon roll. And so we got we we're like, oh wow, this is freaking great. And the nice thing about um, you know, I think Joe had said it's nice to stay close to the mangroves. We were number one out of the wind, and number two, you could actually see a little bit because since you're out of the wind. There's not a bunch of wake and, and stuff to look through. You know, it's, it was pretty calm. So even in the poor light situation, we could see the fish. And we saw a ton of tarpon. Made some great casts. Um, you know, we split, we, Chris and I split the, the time half and half along this uh, one long kind of mangrove island. And probably saw about 20 tarpon. And just moving, I mean, it was crazy. I couldn't believe, I thought they'd just kind of be out away from the mangrove, kind of rolling around and eating. But what they were actually doing is going back in the mangrove, and then they would come out, probably grab something to eat, and then go back in the mangrove. And they were just, you could just see, you know, after a while, you get better at seeing fish. You could just see them there, just in and out of the mangrove, in and out of the mangrove. And we got, we both got probably 12, 15 shots at, at these tarpon, and we were putting the cast right on them. And, you know, the, they just weren't hungry, and we changed flies multiple. You know, like Joe said, he wish you had another fly. We could have changed two, um, but they just—they really weren't interested in anything we threw at them. We barely got them to move, so we were like, "Hey, you know what? That was really cool. Got to see a lot of fish." Um, and then again, we said we wanted to do snook, so we we drove a little ways, um, not too far, probably like ten or fifteen minutes to a bunch of these little tinier. So the, the mangrove we were fishing for tarpon was like a big, long, kind of chain island. And um, after that, we were, the, the snook islands were very small. They were like these just little, like, you know, know like the size of this room, like 10 by 10 islands, but round. Um, and just kind of, we would pull around the entire island. And, and it was cool. Uh, we could not see the snook. The guide saw a couple snook, and Chris actually had one. Um, come up and follow his fly. We all saw it flash, so that was really cool. Um, and then we ended up the same as same as Joe. Big torrential downpour. We actually pulled into a mangrove and and ate lunch. And uh, the guides actually we we saw these little snapper under the mangroves. And someone one of the guides said handline, and we were like, let's see it. You know, do it. Mm -hmm. And so we were, you know, he. I mean, if you like fishing, everybody wants to see fish caught. So. They actually put on one of our little shrimp flies and they hand lined, so they just had about 15 feet of monofilament. And they were chucking this uh, mantis shrimp just out of their hand under the mangrove and just stripping it a little bit. And they ended up basically, they caught their dinner, they said. You know, they were like, we caught our dinner. So they caught like three good sized little snapper. Yeah, big and enough so, to eat, huh? Yeah, so that was, I thought that was really cool. Just a, a cool experience to see. 
Um, and then after that, you know, it was it was really really cloudy, windy, it, off and on rain. We walked a couple bonefish flats, and we just, to be honest, we just probably weren't in the right spot. I think, you know, since they chose, we told them we wanted to target tarp, tarpon and snook, we probably weren't in the best location to run all the way to a huge bonefish flat. But we did some walking and. You know, got some good exercise. It's obviously, you know, like Joe said, it's 80 degrees and beautiful, even though it's a little cloudy and you might get a little, you know, a little rain on you. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it was just great. And then we, we, yeah, we headed back. So, yeah, when you, uh, I totally forgot on day two, uh, before I, you know, landed that, that snug, which is, a, which is I'm super still st stoked <laughs> on that, uh, we actually hit one of those little snook pockets. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's like a little mountain, right? Like it's like a like yes. a molehill. It's perfectly round. It just is those little round mangroves. They're perfectly circular, but then they're also spherical. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a dome. Yeah, it's like a dome, <laughs> snook dome. So like, we went to one of the snook domes, and it was a pretty big one. Uh, I mean, it, you know, there was spoon, these pink spoonbill birds, yes. these frigate birds. It's beautiful, and you get in there, and you can actually smell the bird poop. Like you get in there and you're like, man, like this is a whole like little biosphere in yeah. itself, right? So we went to the little like snook dome and uh, gosh, I got a shot at about a 20 pounder that dwarfed the one I caught. Yeah, it had a big old duck bill looking thing. You know, yeah. snook have kind of, when they get bigger, they have kind of a long uh, bill almost on them. They're kind of cool looking. Uh, and you don't really notice that until somebody says, they, they got kind of a bill. And they're like, yeah, they do. They have a really steep... Uh, or excuse me, a really shallow ascent to the top of their jaw. And so it had, like, I just remember looking and go, God, that thing's got like a duck bill on it. It's so big. And I did get some shots at that, but with it, the, the tides have been, uh, it seems like each time I've been on those snook, those, what are we calling us? Snook domes? Snook domes. Snook domes. <laughs> Every time I've been on one of those snook domes, the tide's been pretty high and those fish have been pushed in pretty tight under there. Uh, in an extreme low tide, uh, sometimes those snook will be brought out and they will be on the fringe, which they're much more vulnerable on the fringe. But uh, yeah, gosh, I uh, man, I'd love to get another shot at that that big snook that was definitely in there. yeah yeah. So so then day three, uh, yeah, that kind of concludes day two. Day two was the toughest, you know, weather wise. Uh, today was a little bit of an improvement, uh, or excuse me, day three was a little bit of an improvement. Definitely, today was definitely an improvement, but. Day three is a little better, very windy. There was a strong east wind, uh, which the guides did their best to duck out of that and get on the lee sides of most of the spits and stuff to get a little bit of shelter from the wind. Um, you know, I'd try not to complain about casting in it as the guide's pulling the boat, right, in, yeah. in the wind. Um, but yeah, day three uh, was pretty lean for me most of the day. Um, yeah, I think I got a couple of bonefish. We permit fished a uh, fair amount. So permit's kind of high, it's kind of feast for famine. You know, you may, you may get a couple shots at, you know, a couple of permit. We laid some very good shots, you know, on permit early in the day. And then we started to get kind of a little bit, a little bit antsy. We want to catch some fish. So we said, hey, let's go bonefish fishing. So we go bonefish fishing. Well, then the bonefish fishing actually wasn't all that good. You know, we got a couple of bonefish, but it was really windy. And I think at that time, the tide was up again, you know, for the afternoon. And so the bonefish, that means we're fishing them in a little deeper water than we, we wanted to at that time. So we got kind of burned on that and uh, decided we were going to catch barracuda. So I'm just, I'm like blind casting, uh, 
uh, a shrimp fly. Just actually weren't even targeting barracuda this time. Uh, I was just blind casting because I was standing on that deck with nothing to do for a long time. <laughs> and uh, I ended up hooking uh, a little barracuda, like a 14-incher, right? Like, back home, we'd be pretty stoked. We'd be like, nice trout, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess we don't even cast and stuff like that here, right? Yeah, so I, yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> I hooked this barracuda. I'm like, oh, sweet. I finally caught something, you know? Like, I mean, I... It, It'd been a couple hours. I was a little desperate. And this big barracuda jets out of the mangroves and literally eats my fish in half. And I'm like, dang, you know, I was pretty stoked about that. And then it was really cool when the five foot barracuda charges out and bites my fish in half. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we pitched my half a fish out there to it just for something to do. And I had still like the head of it on there. And uh, I'm not proud, but I pitched that out there and let the barracuda up the end of my line just to get a reaction. That was pretty fun. Uh, so that was kind of the excitement, and uh, we threw through a few lemon sharks. There was like some three to four foot lemon sharks in the shallows, and they're they're a little tougher to get to eat. We didn't get any. Uh, we didn't get those little sharks to grab, but uh, that kept us busy. Uh, John got a re actually John got a really good eat from a cuda when we decided we were going to start kind of walking and targeting cuda. He uh, they spotted a cuda at a distance, and then we really made it. A lot of times the guides are going to pull the boat up on the cuda. And as I've told you from my experience, if you can get out of the boat to target that barracuda, say you spot it from 80 feet, you slip quietly out of the boat, you move into 40, make one good shot at 40, you're much more likely to get it than if you're in the boat. So Johnny gets out and he goes in and uh, he put a great shot on a great big cuda and he got one big swipe out of it and then it blew off the flat. I mean, he got one take and if he got a stinger hook, and actually, that's one thing I'm probably going to do is I'm going to start bringing up stinger hooks on some of my stuff. After today, absolutely. Yeah. Which I, we'll get to, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can, it's, it's stuff we can easily build ourselves. Rio makes a braided wire, a 30 pound braided wire that we could easily tie up stinger hooks with. I mean, right, right here, right now, if we had the appropriate, appropriate hook. But um, so then the action starts to happen. We literally, it's 4 30, and or four, four o'clock, and I told the guy, I said, man, we, you know, we'd been beat up all day, he'd been pulling in the wind, I already knew that he was fishing us late, and so I, I told him, I said, you know, we can go back to the lodge, I wasn't, for the record, I wasn't wimping out, but I really wanted to let the guide know, like, hey, the guide felt kind of bad, because he was with, I mean, John and I were, I would say, upper echelon fishermen, we had had a very lean day, and I know the guy was kind of feeling, he was doing the obligatory fish till dusk type thing, yeah. and I'm like, man, we don't need to do that, Pablo, we can, we can head in, and Pablo's like, no, we'll go out, there. he saw some mud way out in the flat, and uh, one of our jokes is we, a lot, we really much dislike pulling that deep water for permit. I know it's the right thing to do, but it gets really boring, like, I mean, <laughs> you, you gotta stick it out, right? And I've done it enough times to know, but you don't see bonefish, you don't see barracuda, you're definitely not encountering any opportunities that snook and rarely tarpon out there. So I, I laugh. I'm like, okay, John, at least we get to finish our day of almost getting skunked with pulling deep water for permit. Like, <laughs> so, but the guides spot, now the guide, I mean, the guides are so good. They, uh, they spotted that mud, that strip, right? Have you seen those? Have you seen mud that gets in that strip of wind? Yeah. Where it's yeah, it's a very linear shaped mud, and and essentially at the upper end of that current, there it's often a school of small bonefish, which then dictates what fly you're going to use because we don't want a fly that sinks too fast when we're dealing with those permit that are around schools of bonefish. So of course there was like three fly changes as we went out. Like you need to do this with that rod, that with that rod, and yada yada yada. We get out there and. Uh, 
I think, yeah, John got the first shot, but uh, the guides did end up spotting permit around this mud. And uh, we ended up, because the, the way the light worked, um, you know, we were, we had to look east to, to get the sun behind us. So we were pulling one direction. We kind of had to look behind us almost because of the way the sunlight was. But that also meant we had to cast directly into the wind. And Johnny got out on the first permit, and so guide spots the permit. They get just get they go plum loco, and they you know they can hear them start rattling. They talk in Spanish. Yeah, they start talking Spanish real fast because you are not to be included in their uh, battle plan here. So they start chatting real fast in Spanish, and then the only English thing they say is get out of the boat get out of the boat, get out of the boat. <laughs> so then we're out of the boat. So Johnny gets out of the boat. He goes and uh, he makes a fantastic shot. I mean, it was a, we're both throwing 10 weights now. Um, I just switched to 10 weight this year for permit and I'm glad I did because man, some of those casts throwing, when you're that deep in the water, like your chest deep and you're throwing a weight to fly into the wind, a number 10 comes in really handy. Like I, I've always ran a number eight and I finally switched to a 10, but Johnny makes a he makes a great shot. Permit are just I mean they're very unfair in my opinion. They they're very discriminating. Uh, you can do everything right and a hundred times in a row and they won't eat it. And you can do you do it right again the next time and fish on. So Johnny gets out, great shot, great attempt. Um, you know it's they're amazing how wary they are because if they see the fly and don't like it, it's not like a trout or a steelhead or something else. Permit leave. Yeah. I mean, if they, if they, it's not, you didn't spook them. They may have followed it and almost eaten it. And then they go, no, we better get the heck out of here, dude. I mean, they, yeah, there's, there's fake food around here. Yeah. They're gone. And, uh, so he gets back in the boat and we're pretty psyched, you know, the heart's beating a little bit. And, uh, I'm like, okay, well, then it's my turn to jump on the deck. So I jump up on the deck and, and, uh, I had my new 10 weight salt, sage salt rigged up with an intermediate line for uh, tarpon, because I've been in some open water tarpon situations, as I've described, where an intermediate line would have been really nice for these schools of bigger tarpon. You know, I've seen tarpon up to 100 pounds here when we fish the edge of the bay, and I've, I've hooked some nicer ones out there, uh, you know, in the 40 to 50 pound range, and uh, you had to land one of those that are that are much over 30 out there, but uh, I've got that rod rigged up in the intermediate line, so I've got this older 10-weight sage response, which I actually really like the rod. It's been all over the world with me, and so I've got, like, this sentimental bond with this thing because, man, it is, like, thing's been beat. I mean, I've rented it to customers. I've given it, <laughs> loaned it to everybody. Uh, it just went to Christmas Island three weeks ago and then came back, now it's here with me. So it's a little bit softer action, which can be good for the roll cast type stuff. But anyway, throw my 10-weight. I end up out of the boat, chest deep water, uh, chasing permit, and uh, you know we, like I said, we had to get the light behind us, and I'm casting straight into that really strong east wind, and uh, it was great. We ended up, I saw three permit coming out of the mud, coming towards us, and in the mud they can sometimes be easier to spot because they float higher, and that mud will hide the black bottom sometimes. And uh, so I saw him coming towards me, and uh, I, I did. I laced one, and uh, I missed about just about 24 inches left, which is pretty darn close. At like 50 feet casting in chesty water, I mean, it was a pretty. It was about all I had in the situation I was in, you know, casting into the wind and wading deep. And uh, saw it, and uh, 
I, I started stripping. I was stripping pretty fast. I think I was pretty excited. I just remember being <laughs> shocked how fast I was stripping. And the permit, I just saw it peel off. And the lead one just peeled off and goes whoop and just hooked. I mean, it just hooked up just perfect, just textbook. And uh, ripped the clock across flat. It took me about 30 minutes to land it. And wound up eating a, uh, like a, a, I think it's called a Raisin Craven. It's a big, heavily weighted shrimp. Have you seen that one before? Yep. Yeah, so. It ate a big shrimp, um, and uh, which the guides want that shrimp because shrimp are more, they're often swim quicker in the upper half of the water column. So they specifically wanted that. That one weighs quite a bit, but I was stripping it pretty fast and kept it relatively shallow in the column. So anyway, it stuck a 10 pound permit, landed that, uh, got just a great fight out of the whole deal. It was great. And that was like literally our last cast of the day yeah. i mean we just yeah we strolled home and uh did the permit parade coming into the, the marina there and and uh <laughs> so that was pretty sweet permit so the parade yeah so <laughs> the permit parade man everybody can tell by the smile oh, on your yeah. face right when the boat pulls up what happened so that was my day uh was that day three day three yep. yeah what did you end up doing on day three so day three was was cool again new to me because I'm new down here I fished with Troy and we went down to a place called Santa Rosa and it's it's pretty far south um, I don't know if it's the farthest well it's not the farthest south they go but I mean probably for bonefish it might be one of the farther south places and it's kind of like a it's kind of like a little lagoon area um, so it was it was a really cool ride in. Um, and so you're going, you know, we go through these little kind of mangrove channels on the way out to get to the actual bay to where we can drive, drive down to the, to the place we fish. But um, some of these mangrove channels we went, we went through to get to Santa Rosa, you're going, you're having to duck because it's basically a small tunnel you're going through. I mean, you're literally going through a, a mangrove that's barely big enough to fit the boat, and if you were sitting up straight, you would be knocking your head on branches. So we had to go through a bunch of these sweet little, tiny little mangroves, and I'll tell you, it was a maze back there. I can't believe our guides even made it back there. I mean, I don't know how they made it back there in the, at the beginning of the day, and I don't know how they got back out. Um, I was completely turned around and lost <laughs> the entire day. And um, we were just looking for bonefish bonefish um that day um and it was it was cool um the the there was a lot of clouds down there but there was a lot of really good sun breaks as well and you know we talked about this on the on the first podcast i mean it's lights on lights off and um just like joe mentioned i mean and our guides were really patient with it um i noticed they were i would say even more patient than the guides on the first day like if it as soon as a cloud came over we would just stop. We would just stop walking. And uh, we took, we, we saw some really good sized bonefish. So the first day I was casting to a lot of, what they call them schoolies, where it's like 50 bonefish, little bonefish swimming around them. When I say little, I mean they're not tiny or anything, but they're, you know, they're smaller on the smaller size. Um, all the bonefish we saw on day three were good sized bonefish and we we cast to a few schools but it was only schools of like 10 so they were a little bit bigger and then we also were casting to a lot of singles and so the first one i saw was probably twice the size of the biggest one i caught on day one and so i cast out there made a great cast guy says strip 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 and i'm stripping i'm stripping and he eats it and what did i do 
I trout set on. Trout set. And I missed him, and I was so disappointed in myself because I didn't do any trout sets on the first day. But, you know, sometimes you get excited and you just you, you kind of forget. Yeah, instinct takes over, and sometimes, uh, yeah, or autopilot takes over, and autopilot, autopilot will hose you sometimes. Yep, exactly. So I missed that one, um, and then we just, yeah, we kind of just, we did a lot of walking, we did a lot of pulling around, and we, uh, Troy and I both caught some really nice bonefish down there. I mean, you know, I can't remember exactly like all the details of the day, um, especially, you know, when you're walking, you're walking just with your own guide. And so Troy and I weren't fishing together at that point. Um, but uh, towards the end of the day, um, I ended up landing a really nice bonefish. And I, I kind of, so on the first day I was fishing my eight weight and we were casting to the, to the smaller bonefish. And, uh, you know, they, they fight really hard, but the, the smaller ones, you know, on the eight weight, they're, you know, it's, it's not, you know, they make a nice solid run, but then you kind of, you know, you kind of strip them in. So I brought a six weight down and I really wanted to use that. And, uh, I'll tell you, it was, it was cool, man. Like the, the big bonefish I hooked it, it put a big bend in the rod. It was really good. Not the best in the wind. But, uh, you know, I, I cast all right, so it, it, it worked out good. I, I would say I didn't miss any, any casts or anything because I was fishing a six weight. And uh, Troy caught some nice bonefish, and kind of towards the end of the day as we were getting ready to head back, because you have to leave just a little bit early because it takes so long to get back in there. Um, Troy was, we were finding schools of nice bonefish all the way, but they were really spooky. And he was putting some really good casts down and like literally the fly would touch the water and they would just shoot, shoot the other way. Wow. Um, yeah, it was crazy. But there was, there was a, you know, it was cool to see like, you know, I've, I've been hearing nervous water ever since I've been down here. And actually that was the first day where I actually was like seeing the nervous water. Like you could see the, you know, there's no tailing bonefish. You can't see the bonefish because the lighting was poor, but you can see the nervous water and you can see kind of the wake coming at you, moving in one direction, then changing directions. And uh, so I, I thought that was really cool to, to just be able to identify that. Yeah, have you, have you seen a, a permit making nervous water I yet? I have not seen a permit do it yet. Yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, that's, we, I got a couple of fantastic shots today, uh, day four at permit. Um, didn't capitalize, but uh, permit, that's number one way you're going to spot them in a lot of those big open flats is you'll have that wind chop going one direction, right? And you'll kind of wonder, so when you're, when you're pulling some of that bigger water, say three to four feet of water for permit, and um, you've got that big chop, you know, that wind chop that's fairly significant, and you're thinking, man, how are these guys going to see anything? And it's cloudy. Those permit actually make a pretty good vibration, and uh, man, I was so impressed today by one of our guides. We were in heavy wind chop, three, four feet of water, and uh, man, he just spotted the tiniest disturbance in the force. And uh, we, we, I think we spotted three different groups of, or or permit today, all based on nervous water. Never, never saw the fish until we got closer, but. Permit will do the same thing, and man, they just make a little disruption in the force. Those guys that are well tuned to it, they just see, they see a little wave going the wrong direction, man, and they're like, okay, that wave didn't go that direction. Yeah. Everything goes this other direction. Kind of like a, you know, seasoned river fisherman can read, you know, a boulder or read the depths, 
based on what the surface is doing. You know, they know that that vibration shouldn't be there. So they can look out, you know, sometimes as much as 200 yards and they'll see something very subtle. And uh, I'm a little better at picking it up than I used to be. I certainly, I just don't have the eyes those guys do. I mean, this is, this is their game, man. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so today there, I mean, there's just so much exciting stuff that's happened. I'm trying to, you know, recall, you know, some of it. Uh, you know, there's all those instances during the day where things seemed kind of slow, and then at the end of the day, by the time you get back, you're like, man, there's so much cool stuff that happened. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, today we uh, today we took off, and uh, the guide said, well, we kind of want to catch tarpon. So we're like, okay, let's go catch tarpon because I I I've never gotten a grand slam in a day, and I've never certainly never got a super grand slam in a day, but. I always try to do do it in a week or spend a few days. And today I I got super grand slam. Finally got it today. So this week uh, in three days and a couple hours I landed a tarpon, snook, permit, bonefish. So I got got the four big ones for the super grand slam. So we want to go for tarpon, and uh, I was fishing with a guy named Lindsay, and Lindsay was in the same boat. No pun intended, right? So right. he'd had. <laughs> He got, he got a little snook, uh, Robolito, uh, Spanish for snook, baby snook. He got a little guy, but he was still still super grand slam if he can get it. So we're like, hey, let's go try to catch a tarpon. And uh, I had had a really good shot at a tarpon on day three, actually. I didn't mention that as part of my day three, but I actually had a really good shot at tarpon. Um, a solo uh, about a 15-pounder cruising in a lagoon all by itself. Put a great shot on it. I mean, I thought it was going to eat. So I shot it. Uh, I had that shot of tarpon, and then on day one, there was the tarpon that was behind yep. the, the nurse. Behind shark. the shark, so, yeah. So it actually had a couple opportunities. But uh, anyway, we wanted to go get tarpon, so we the guide said, well, we can go back and we can fish tarpon in these lagoons. And, uh, and he also said that he knew where there were some bigger bonefish. Uh, in these lagoons, and we would do some blind casting along, which I thought was really strange, along the mangroves for big bonefish. Hmm. Okay, well, different. I mean, most of the time we're fishing them in shallow lagoons and flat, you know, flat, you know proper flats. That's where gentlemen fish bonefish, apparently. <laughs> uh, proper flats. Um, but we, we, uh, we jammed in there, and uh, it's so funny. You know, guides everywhere are the same. I mean, it's like, it's a total, totally different culture, but it's just like you and I, we're cruising down there, and the guy... Guy spots a, uh, a canal that somebody had cut, and he goes, "Boom!" And he turned around in the boat, and uh, immediately spotted. What? I wonder what this? You know, one of their comp- competing lodges is doing, and he wanted to know. So we went back and checked out this his channel. One of the other guides had cut through there, and uh, he's like, "Oh, let's go back in there." And so yeah. immediately he realized when they somebody had cut a channel back into another lagoon, it must be decent fishing. And I love a guide that is humble and wise enough to uh, watch what other guides do and learn from the other guides. So I, it took me years of guiding to realize that uh, it benefits me to watch the other guide boats because I might have, <laughs> they might have something to teach me. <laughs> so he, he thought, you know what, you want to go in there? He's like, I've never been in there before, but this, you know, somebody cut a channel in there. We should probably check it out, you know? And uh, because some of the guides will actually, they'll go kayak it and scout it with kayaks and then decide whether they want to, you know, access this other lagoon with their pongo boat, right? We get back in there, and I mean, it's a sweet lagoon. I mean, obviously, it doesn't get fished very often. There's one real rough channel to get in and out of there. We're deep. We were already deep in the mangroves to begin with. We check it out, and then uh, we're in there for about 45 minutes, and then uh, finally see some rolling tarpon. 
and uh, Lindsey puts a good shot out in this rolling school tarpon. Open water, we weren't throwing towards the mangroves, we were throwing out in the wide open, which when I'm throwing out in the wide open, I prefer an intermediate line. Like if a guy was gonna be overly prepared, he would have a tarpon rod with an intermediate tip, like a 15 foot intermediate tip, keep the fly down, and uh, I think you get a little bit better hookup instead of your fly being six inches under the surface, it might be 18 inches under. I think you actually hook the fish better uh, when the fish when the fly is a little bit lower uh, in the column. But uh, anyway, Lindsay hooks up, lands his fish. It's about a you know four pounder, five pounder, something like that. It's small. I mean, it's a little tarpon, but it is a tarpon. So he has now a super grand slam, and then I jump up. And we knock these tarpon out. I, I get one about the same size. It's another small one. I had one really good eat, and that was great. And then hook it, and they're super fun. I mean, they jump like crazy, and it's a great take, and it's it's exciting. And you know, with tarpon, maybe it'll be you know quite big, maybe it'll be small. Um, it's just kind of a little crapshoot there. But anyway, so we knock out these tarpon, and then we pretty much get out of there. And we're like, okay, let's go get a couple of bonefish, and then we'll try uh, you know for getting a grand slam in a day. Uh, I wish I could end this story by saying we got a Grand <laughs> yeah. Slam. We did not, but we shot at a Grand Slam. And actually, I've shot at a Grand Slam uh, every day. I Actually, all three days, or four days, I have actually cast a tarpon every day, and I cast a permit every day. I've cast a Grand Slam every day, so I can't complain about that. But uh, we got out of there, we went back in the Southern Lagoon, and uh, man, we hooked some dandy bonefish. It seemed like everything was four or five pounds. Oh, that's awesome. Like, like legit, like four or five pounds, not like, oh, it was four or five pounds. Like these things were like, you know, 20 to 24 inches long and uh, fight like trucks. Uh, Lindsay broke the first one off like instantly. I mean, that took off on him. And we were fishing as deep water bonefish. We we're fishing like four feet of water along the mangroves. And uh, Lindsay gets his bonefish and he, he breaks one off and then he lands one. And we shoot it, we can see him, you know, not great, but we can see him. And then we move along, and uh, I look under the mangroves, and uh, I love it when I spot the fish before the guides, because it is so rare. And I look under the mangroves, and I think they were looking out for the bonefish, so they were on task, I was not. And I look under the mangroves, and, and I said, tarpon. I, I, there's baby tarpon laid up under the, the mangroves. I mean, not tiny tarpon, baby tarpon, right? Like five pounds, five to seven pounds is what went through my mind, the number of the register. I go grab the tarpon rod. The guide's looking at them too, and these are very seasoned guides. So nobody who's done a lot of saltwater fishing think, oh, well, the guides are just inexperienced. No, these are very seasoned guides. And they also thought they were tarpon laid up under the mangroves. I make my cast, right, with a 10 weight, and I, I throw an Enrico Puglisi uh, finger mullet in there, red and white finger mullet. I yeah. love that fly for like everything. Uh, you can catch snook on that, tarpon, all sorts of stuff, including trophy bonefish that are laid up under the mangroves. Dude, they were bonefish. No way. Yeah, they were like sitting suspended. And I'm telling you, these things were like, I mean, I fished Ascension Bay a lot, and they were the biggest bonefish I've seen. And uh, I, I make a, a really good little underhanded cast, like whoop, like little, like little Obi-Wan Kenobi type thing. Like, and it, it somehow it went actually where I wanted it to go, because you have to kind of flutter those things under the mangroves. You can't just smack them in hard overhead. You know, you can't really have an overhand cast. So I had like a little scoop cast. Fly goes, choosh, and like parachutes down. I let it sink for a second. And I still think they're tarpon at this point. 
And I think at the, about then the guide was realizing like, no, those are bonefish because he start. But it was late enough that I'd actually grabbed the tarpon rod and thrown a cast. I mean, we looked at him long enough to for the cast for me to switch rods and still deliver the cast. My fly lands. I let it sink for a second. I take a couple strips. Dude, this bonefish swims out and eats a two-odd finger mullet. No way. Yeah, it, it eats a, a Puglisi finger mullet on 60-pound test. Yeah, this bonefish does. <laughs> yeah. He must have been hungry. Dude, the thing was a pig. And, uh, oh, it's a great bonefish. And, uh, dude, I, I mean, it was a ridiculous fight. I had on 10 weight. He went on one good run. I just land him, you know. I'm on heavy line and everything else. And uh, I get in the boat, and fortunately, it was a great fish and unfortunately my camera's all messed up we never did get a photo of that one but um but so i get my bone fish lindsey's got his bone fish we got our tarpons so what do we do we go permit fishing and uh we had to pop out a couple of lagoons and uh the guides wanted to stay sheltered so we had that in that midday we still had a pretty good east wind yeah and it laid down in the afternoon real nice but he had a cloud there was a good cloud cover too yeah and earlier yeah, earlier, and then it got beautiful. Yes. I mean, this afternoon was more like an 8 out of 10 for as first conditions. But we stayed in those lagoons, and uh, we we started putting out. And I don't know if they planned on fishing this spot we stopped at or if it's because they loved the mud strip. There was another mud strip, uh, and the, you'd see where the wind was blowing down. And uh, we kind of floated out in there, and then we could see these schoolies, you know, these bonefish. I mean, there was like 100 bonefish, and they're making that mud. We floated around, floated through it, and then they had to like get out of earshot of where they thought the permit was. And we idled the motor up to the top of the uh, the mud strip, and then we started down. And by that point, it was I was on deck, and uh, we ended up we ended up bopping down. And uh, man, the guy made a fantastic spot on this permit. I mean, there was like the most tiny vibration. Like I said, like there was just something working against the force. He spotted it, and once you spot, you know, you spot that. You know, or the guy points it out to you or he spots it. Of course, you're hyper-focused on that zone now, right? So then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, that you could, you're so hyper-focused on it. Now you see all the little subtleties and we saw the fish tailing. So I've got tailing permit out there about 150 feet. And, uh, of course, we jump out of the boat. I had my, my little, uh, one of those things, zip, Sim Zip It booties yeah. on, which... You are the the lace up. I wear the lace up ones. Yeah, the the zippets are really nice for in the boat, just because they're they're pretty light and you feel agile, I guess. But I already have my boots on because I knew it was rock, and that's a really good tip because your guides aren't always going to tell you this. But if you hear that push pole hitting rock, just fish with your boots on because if you do see a permit, it's going to be very advantageous for you to slip out of the boat. If you're on the two-to-two two ratio, meaning you have two guides, a guide that can get in the water with you and, and pursue the fish, have your boots on already so you can go after the fish. But, uh, yeah, we moved in on, uh, I think there was three permit. Uh, guides, guides said he thought there were four. I, I could one time, I thought I could count three uh, three tails, three three different tails, but their tails and dorsals look pretty similar. But Whatever the case would be. Yeah. I, mean, I was just seeing fins everywhere. I, I was like, <laughs> I was moving in on it, hearts beating. And, uh, you know, when you when you get out and you pursue a permit, make sure line management's really key. Uh, you know, don't carry more line than you think you need. I carry, I don't know how many feet it is. I get on the deck and I will throw a cast into a crosswind 
as far as I feel comfortable. Like I can do it every time with zero mistakes. I don't get any more line out than that. It's ridiculous to have like 80 feet line out. Um, so Lefty Cray recommends marking your line. I haven't and I really should. Uh, I absolutely should so that I can pull my line out. I know like, hey, that's 60 feet. That's gonna be my shot. But uh, I had quite a bit out because we were working with a tailwind and um, it wasn't too much to manage. A guy did a great job managing the line for me. Pursue the fish, we're waiting, I'm trying to keep organized. I've got my rod tip on my right side. I'm, I'm actually dragging the fly behind me so that I'm really ready to cast. I've got about 10 feet of fly line out with the rod, which is just enough so that I can get a little inertia to get my cast started. Loaded up, yeah. Yep, you gotta have enough to get loaded up. So I'm, I'm making sure I'm kind of going through my metal checklist. Okay, got my, my 10 plus out, dragging the fly behind me, keeping it on the right, guides on my left. He's kind of my train bearer, you know, keeping my line managed, and I've got enough that I can handle it. So we get up on the, the tailing fish, and you always prefer to cast when they're tailing. I mean, because you have a very precise target. You know, you, you can see exactly where they are, and you can follow the angle of the tail for orientation of their head. So you, you cast where he eats, not where he poops. Right. You, you, <laughs> yeah. Have you heard that one from your yeah. guide yet? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guides love to point that out after you cast behind the fish. So I can see you know the direction they're facing, so I love casting when they're tailing. So we got a pretty good shot, and I knew it was going to be close. And I, I threw every inch of line that I had, and I came up... Uh, it was in the game, and I came up about six feet short of where I wanted to be. I just didn't have enough line out, but it was a very opportune time to take the shot as they were up, and I knew it would be close. So I should have had a little bit more line out. But uh, and I don't know if it's coincidental or not, but, man, I, I retrieved that. You know, the guy and I felt like, okay, it's in the game. You know, let's go ahead and retrieve it. You know, we didn't, you know I didn't just rip it right in to try to make another cast. But I actually played it out on the retrieve. Um, and I was feeling hot because I caught a permit the day before. So I was like, I was pretty calm. So I was like, yeah, I was on a roll. So I, right, so I thought it could be years before I get another one. Uh, but I've been on a dry spell. Yeah, you know. right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I retrieved that one. And, man, they were just gone. They just, this thing's just vaporized. And, I, man, I definitely didn't spook them on the cast because their tails stayed up after the fly sunk. And I, I went ahead and started stripping. And then they went into submarine mode, you know, they went under after I started stripping, so I thought, okay, maybe, you know, my fly was weighted, so I was hoping that they were tracking the fly. Ah, they vaporized, but uh, it was a genuinely great, great shot. It was a, I didn't mess it up too bad. Um, I wish I had a little bit more line off in retrospect, but at the same time, that creates all sorts of issues with tangling and presentation, uh, which presentation is huge, but... Uh, anyway, I did walk Shane back to the boat, crawled my wet, sorry butt, back in the panga, and then uh, we popped back out to the mud, and Lindsay got uh, one more shot in that mud, and uh, he got one more shot in that mud, so we, we each shot at the Grand Slam, uh, we did hit one more, no, we did a couple more, God, a lot of good stuff happened today, jeez, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you go through your day, and you're like, oh, that happened, uh, we went and I did get one more shot at a giant permit uh, that was pushing water. He was a pretty good traveler. Uh, man, the way he came into the lagoon, he was moving. You know, he wasn't slowing down. I call it wallowing. You know, when they start turning in circles and meandering. He didn't wallow at all, didn't tail. Uh, I put one perfect shot on him. I mean, well, it wasn't perfect because it ended up being, I, you know, a little, it's like darn Goldilocks. A little too short, a little too far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this one, I, I tried to intercept this path of travel, and I put the fly probably two feet 
which sounds like a lot, but when you were throwing 65 to 70 feet, I mean, it was a long cast. Uh, it, it guy, guy felt like he's actually hit the leader or, or ran the leader. He felt like my flight was just beyond his path of traveling in salt water. And I think you know this, either you've studied it or I've shared my findings with you. If you throw to, if you were throwing perpendicular to a fish's path of travel, try to picture this with me, and you throw it beyond the point of inter intercept, right? So he's coming and you think you're going to strip it past them. That doesn't work. When something swims towards them, it scares them to death. So they swim for their life. And so I think that's what happened in this instance. I was just a little bit past him. And as I started to retrieve that shrimp, that shrimp was swimming at the permit. And the permit goes, no, I don't deal with shrimp that swim towards me. I only, yeah. eat, I only eat things that swim away, that are scared of me. Things that swim towards me, I, I'm very scared of them. Yeah. <laughs> this managed shrimp's going to kill me. Yeah, so it's just in their instinct when something comes at them to avoid it. So he blew off the flat about Mach 10. Um, so he got out of there and then uh, you know pulled a little bit longer. We had a, spooked a couple of barracuda. And then uh, we actually went kind of out on the outside edge of the bay uh, just to do something different. He wanted to check one more spot for permit. We went out there. And, uh, man, I looked out, and I think I was just wandering with my eyes, and I looked way out on a white sand flat, and, and the guys, uh, again, this isn't me outspotting anybody, it's me looking a different direction, um, but they were looking a little bit closer, and a lot of this turtle grass and coral for permit, and of course, I'm, deer, 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 deer. you know, I'm looking way out, you know, somewhere, and I go, I go, man, that's a huge barracuda out there, and it was laying on the white sand, so it's like, the gringo could see it because it was laying in like the easiest spot to see and I go that's a huge barracuda and then the guide actually thought it was a uh, was a tarpon I hear him say no it's sabalo sabalo so he thinks it's a tarpon and so now I'm like well I've got I've now re-rigged course like I brought four rods dude I'm still re-rigging yeah, me too <laughs> yeah. it's like what the heck yeah because you can't like all these things you know, these species require different leader systems, right? And there's no time to like, oh, I'll just change my leader yeah. now. If we see the fish as he's pulling by, the wind's blowing, he's yeah. trying to intercept the fish, the fish is moving. You know, you've got wind, tidal current, a pulling boat, and a traveling fish. And we're trying to get all of these elements to line up so that I, and then you've got the flat cast. we got to get all that to line up. So there's not much time. Like if you get an opportunity, you need to, you need to grasp it. So I jump up, um, you know, it's not recommended that you use a wire tippet with tarpon because it can injure the fish. Uh, it will it will be okay to catch them, and I've caught some really nice snook on wire actually before, but it generally wouldn't be your first practice because that it could injure the fish. Uh, although the, the snook that I've caught, and I actually have caught a tarpon or two on wire, and it didn't, it didn't seem to dig, dig into them or anything, so, but that... The hook probably hurt more than the wire, put right, it that way. Right. <laughs> but um, so I've got the wire, and I'm like, okay, well, this is a, I mean, it's like a, I mean, a four to five foot long tarpon, you know, apparently. And uh, I jump up on the deck, and, and uh, I've been casting pretty good. Normally I, I blow a few, but actually I blew some bad ones this afternoon on the bonefish. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was ugly there for a little bit. I'm glad I was alone. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I actually made a really good shot and, and put it right on it. And something like, and a, a very seasoned saltwater angler would not probably have made this mistake. Uh, you know, the guides are doing everything they can. Uh, 
he identified as a tarpon. Uh, it was about the size. It was sitting a little deeper, you know, so it was a little bit harder to tell what species it was. But the fact that it was kind of laying there, and there was a lot of current in the area, right? And the tarpon in that area aren't there to lay up. If the tarpon come through that big water, they're travelers. For the most part, tarpon are travelers. And barracuda are a little bit more stationary, more of an ambush predator. And when I saw it really sitting that still, you know, and holding its ground in that current, just laying, I should have known it was probably a barracuda. That That's how I feel about it anyway. So about the time I make a beautiful shot, long cast, and a long cast is, is you know, not to emphasize like long casting, but if you can play ball with the fish, the further from the boat you can play ball with the fish, if they follow and refuse, they you might get another opportunity. If it's a 30 or 40 foot cast and they follow and refuse, they have now seen the boat and you are not gonna be able to change flies, which I've very successfully changed flies on Barracuda. I've had them refuse things. I've had them refuse poppers many times and then thrown a needlefish out of it, it's automatic. Uh, tarpon, same thing. As you found out, you know, the tarpon, you know, when they're migrating around, as long as they don't follow all the way out to the boat and get boat shy on you, you're going to be able to change flies and present them with different offering. But I should have recognized this, so I put the cast on it, money shot, and uh, I strip, I strip, you know, my tarpon strips about 12 inch, I'd say medium pace strip, hands forward for the big hook set, you know, I'm, I'm poised for a tarpon set, and it's a, it's a, you know, for Ascension Bay, this would have been a very large tarpon. You know, I mean, I don't know how many pounds, but it had been like your 70-pound type uh, at that length. Um, you know, they're much, obviously, much thicker, girthier than a barracuda. Barracuda are long, but, but thin. Anyway, I strip, a 12-inch strip. I'm cool. It starts to attack. It starts accelerating, coming at it fast. And it was about then the guide wrecking. It, it all happened quick, so quickly that we, we couldn't respond to it. But when Barracuda accelerate to attack something, that's something that it's pursuing should also accelerate. And Barracuda generally don't bite well on a slow strip. They just don't commit to it. They bluff charge it and then back off. And as soon as I realized like, hey, that's probably a Barracuda, I should have, I, if I would have just increased my strip rate, I would have had a trophy Barracuda. Um, it all happened pretty quick. So, but I think it's, you know, a, a long time, you know, saltwater angler, you know, guy who fishes the keys you know 100 days a year definitely would have had that fish uh so that was a bummer because i would like to have i'd like to have brought you know home a pick of a trophy barracuda we still got a couple more days but uh we we ended up going blind casting for barracuda a little bit after that but uh it had a couple small ones swipe at it but nothing spectacular and then we did we did that that wade fishing trip yeah uh tonight but man your day sounded like you guys saw some <laughs> You had some high stakes shots. Oh uh, yeah, my day was crazy, and it was uh, yeah, it was really humbling today, um, but also really cool. Uh, so we started. We went to Trace Marias, which are these three little um, islands, uh, kind of in southwest Ascension Bay, um, and just a uh, freaking beautiful. I mean, you it's like off of a postcard, basically, right? I mean crystal clear white sand flats into like a little bit you know and the water's kind of that blue color and i mean just a really flat area to be honest like you go like it's pretty flat around the islands and then there's just tons of flat white sand areas down there and uh so we started out um pulling around for um for bonefish 
and we ran into a bunch of schools, but they were really spooky. Like literally, I would make these perfect casts. Um, I fished with Todd, by the way, and he didn't really want to be on the deck this morning, so I got kind of lucky and got got quite a bit of time on the deck. Um, and so, anyways, yeah, we were just pulling around, and and I was making great casts of these bonefish, and I mean, I was even if I made a bad cast that was not on them, but too far away from them, they would spook. And so the guides Ouch. were just like, oh man, so spooky. They were really frustrated actually with how spooky the fish were. So didn't get a bonefish right off the bat, but uh, we were kind of like, it was interesting. We were on a flat, but then it was a little bit deeper towards the shore and there was, it wasn't really a mangrove. It was just kind of like some stumps and some dead old washed up, you know, wood and stuff like that. And so they, guides pulled out the snook rod for me and had me just kind of blind casting to snook in there and um, didn't, didn't touch anything. And then we just kind of pulled, kept pulling around the flat and all of a sudden we just kind of went around this corner and they were like, well, let's get out and walk. And so I was like, okay, cool. And the, the head guide was like, hey, bring a barracuda rod. I literally jumped out of the boat and hear baraka and I was like what and they were like yeah there was a, a barracuda about 40 feet in front of the boat and it was just sitting still and I was like holy cow so they hand me the, the barracuda rod I make one cast and I started stripping all I hadn't really casted a big barracuda and so I was like stripping for my life right like that's what I heard that you're just supposed to start stripping super fast and they're like no <laughs> and so second cast I made and they're like, strip slow. So I started stripping slow, and then exactly like Joe said, they're like, okay, now strip, 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 you falling, strip, strip, strip. And he freaking ate it, and I set, nailed him, and two seconds later, uh, his teeth cut the cut the leader. Oh. And so that was kind of a bummer. It was about a three and a half foot barracuda. It was it was a decent sized. And so no, did it did it bite did it engulf the the because there there's like yes 12 it, to 16 inches of wire guard yes and it, it just ate and engulfed it so deep it tore the leader up exactly oh. yeah i mean it yeah it attacked it was a vicious take the water exploded i mean it was it was awesome it was great and it started to run and i think what happened was it ate it and then when it ran like the leader kind of ran back around its mouth and mm -hmm. and cut so it just shows you how sharp those teeth are and uh so it was weird usually when we walk around a flat i'm carrying the bonefish rod and the guide's carrying the barracuda rod in case a barracuda pops up this time it was i was carrying the barracuda rod and he was carrying the bonefish rod in case a bonefish showed up so we walk, you know, um, Todd got out too with the other guide and they went kind of back, back away from us and we were walking out on this huge white sand flat and literally two minutes later we saw a barracuda that was giant. I mean this thing, it kind of like yours, like a trophy barracuda, if I would have caught this thing it would have been insane, I don't even know what I would have done. <laughs> it was probably five feet or so, you know, five feet long. It was, and thick, I mean, it was crazy. And so we see this thing, and we're, we're kind of walking towards it, and we get, about, um, we get about 70 feet from it. And he was like, okay, stop, the big ones, I guess, are getting pretty, pretty spooky. And so he's like, go ahead and cast. And so I make this perfect cast. I was actually fishing Todd's rod, um, and, and I found that those, it really does it's worthwhile to invest the money in 
in nice rods, because my rod is nowhere near as accurate as Todd's was. He has a Sage. It might have been your 10-weighter. Anyways, uh, Sage Motive, I think. Yeah. And uh, anyways, so I put this perfect cast about two feet in front of his nose, right lined up with him perfect, and I start stripping slow, and he immediately starts following. And so I'm stripping, starting to strip faster, and he's following it, and he's following it, and it's all of a sudden, it's like, this fish is getting dangerously close to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, is it going to eat my fly or my leg? And so literally my leader is almost in the tip of my rod, and he takes a swipe at it. And I didn't feel anything. Kept I did a strip set, nothing, and fish was gone. Oh. And so that was too bad. I, I don't know if he like that's where you were saying the stinger hook might have been nice. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if he grabbed just the end of the end of the fly because I didn't have a stinger hook on it. Um, but anyways, so just cool to see those giant fish charge the fly and. Um, yeah, really cool experience. Ended up in that same area. I caught a little like foot and a half, two foot barracuda out of there too. So that was cool. Um, and then after that, we went to um, we went to another flat, and we were kind of blind casting in this hole that that uh, Pablo had. Um, it was kind of like a channel that led from the main ocean into back into a kind of a sandy lagoon flat. And man, we were, I probably caught 20 fish in a row. I mean, it was literally every cast. Bonefish, little jacks, um, and uh, uh, even a snapper. <laughs> so it's like, holy cow, this is fun. Caught some decent sized bonefish in there too. Um, so we did that for a while and then we, uh, we went to walk, we ate lunch there and then went to walk again. We were gonna try and find Barracuda and at that time these big clouds had come over and we couldn't see a thing on the flat. I mean, we couldn't see a thing. And so we were walking. We walked forever. Um, really, did, we were looking for barracuda. Again, I had the barracuda rod in my hand, not the bonefish rod. Um, and then after a while, we kind of got closer to the shore, and he put the bonefish rod in my hand, and tons of really great bonefish started showing up, but they were really hard to see. And I, I hooked one, and he popped off right away. And, yeah, it was just really cool. Um, and after that, we went to, uh, we went to, I think we pulled around for, I didn't really know what we were doing, but I think we went to, a. it was a little bit deeper water. And I think, you know, we were just kind of looking around and I think they were looking for permit. And then, so right before we met up with Joe at the Paradiso, he was like, I got one more spot I want to check out. And it was actually, it was a really interesting flat. It was like, like most of the flats are really long and they're they're not drop off there's no drop offs it's like it, it gradually gets a little bit deeper as you move away from shore but for the most part they're a pretty constant um depth this one there was like a tiny little flat and then drops off to like 20 foot deep water pretty quickly and so we get there and we're looking around and you know we were talking earlier i was like what are those fish you know and it's these mullets swimming around you know in schools and stuff like that and all of a sudden this barracuda rips out of the water, this like four foot long barracuda rips out of the water all the way out, airborne chasing these fish. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then all of a sudden I hear, Sabalo, 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 which is tarpon, you know, get the rod ready. And I look over and I see a huge tarpon tail. And I was like, holy cow, okay. So all of a sudden we're off the flat and kind of, you know, the pole doesn't work anymore because it's too deep. And I see this tarpon roll and I make a cast 
and I'm stripping in and I gets about halfway to the boat and I see this huge tarpon roll on my fly. And he's like, set, set. And I set, and, but he'd like kind of rolled up on it and then just turned away. And so I was like, holy cow, that was a big fish. And so, but by that time the pole didn't, you know, the pole was too deep. It was too deep to pull. So he had to fire up the motor. He kind of went out into the ocean, then back around so he didn't spook the fish. And they were still there. And so I make a cast and all of a sudden there's four tarpon following my fly and I can see them and they're taking swipes at it and I'm trying to set and they're missing it every time. And so they're gone, but then these other fish show up. They're these giant jacks. And so I'm still stripping the fly and these jacks are starting to take swipes at it and I'm trying to set the hook and I don't know if they weren't taking it all the way or what or I probably wasn't stripping fast enough or needed to strip faster and I got to the end of my where my leader was almost in the fly rod and I stopped, I stopped stripping and the guy was like, no, keep stripping. Yeah. And basically I, I farmed that one too, but man, what an amazing day to just see all those really big fish and just, yeah, I mean, like I said, it just humbles you to realize, you know, yeah, I, I call myself a pretty good trout fisherman, but definitely a lot to, a lot to learn down here, so. Yeah, we've had some pretty cool experiences. Uh, you know, overall the fishing's been uh it's been you know, we haven't really you know, we've caught some neat stuff, we've all had some good experiences, but we haven't really gone on a hot streak yet. Yeah. I mean there are times, you know, down here where, you know, a group will, you know, get on permit and you know, you'll come back and you know, three people landed permit, you know, at the lodge or you know, people will get into good sized tarp and or they'll get on a snook run. And they'll just you know, get like 10, you know, one boat will come back with like 10 good snook. And we really haven't had that kind of rally yet. It's been everybody's working hard and, and chipping away at it. And uh, we're definitely making memories. So um, I would say for anybody planning a trip like this, you know, just make sure that you, you keep, you know, we talked about this a little bit on the first podcast, but I think we, we've had periods now after four days where. You know, it you got to keep your chin up a little bit because yep. you might go four hours, you know, without any significant action. Uh, the day it was yesterday, they landed that really good permit. Man, I was getting my butt handed to me most of the day. I mean, I I was struggling to catch anything. I mean, period. Even the little barracuda I got it was eaten <laughs> <Yeah>. half. <laughs> Even that got taken away. But uh, you know, just making sure that you're you're very patient, and uh, you know, this this trip is a marathon, not a sprint. And, uh, you know, you want to prepare yourself with the right flies, the right gear rods, leaders, all that kind of stuff. You need to be prepared so that you have the best possible chance. But then you need to stir a little bit of patience in with that. Yep. And uh, just know that, hey, you know what, that opportunity is going to present itself. And, you know, you, you've certainly got to do your best to make it happen with, you know, mental, mental preparation and the right tackle and stuff. But just wait for it. It's going to happen. You know, keep your chin up. Stay ready because, man, it doesn't. I mean, the whole character of your day changes in a matter of 30 seconds. I mean, those tarpon pop up, all of a sudden, bam, you step up to the plate, you know, you make your shot of tarpon, you get a player, big tarpon on, day's made right there. Yep. It's, uh, for me, I have to remind myself, it's big boys fishing. You know, we can't, we're not allowed to come back to the lodge and pout because we got skunked, you know, and I've been skunked down here many times. Uh, so... You know, and it, it is more an upbeat group or, or happen to be fishing with. But anybody who does this trip, just remember, you know what? Even the best anglers get shut out some days down here on the flats. It happens, and uh, just you know, just 
I guess take solace in knowing that you're in a beautiful place. It's, you know, just shelf your ego and just go, you know what, I'm gonna get skunked once in a while. It's okay, we'll pick it back up tomorrow uh, and, and see what happens, so. Yeah, and the other thing is too, you just have to remember the ocean is a big place and it's, it's not like, oh, we're just gonna go down to a flat and there's gonna be fish there, you know? Maybe there's no fish on that flat that day and they were on a different flat, you know? They're moving constantly. Maybe you were just not there at the right time. They, you, you could leave to go to another flat to find bonefish and maybe an hour later bonefish show up on the flat you were just on, who knows, but you know, the ocean is huge. It's hard to, you know, you gotta respect for these guys that they're at least able to even find fish half the time. So I, I've been impressed with that. Oh, I, I agree. I, I think that's such a true statement that, you know, with the way these tides and these wind currents work because the winds, <clears throat> change the temperature on the flats. So if they have a north wind, certain flats are gonna have a different water temperature uh, and be affected by the wind direction. Uh, and these guys, you know, they, you know, they've been trained and through their knowledge and experience, they're always learning, you know, they, yeah. they don't know, you know, they'll be the first to tell you they don't know everything, but they have all those different considerations and I totally agree, you know, there might be zero fish on that flat. There might be the wrong water temperature, right? Light, wrong tide, wrong lighting, and it's just, happenstance that those elements align to make that a fish this flat one day and then man you get on the next flat and you're covered up by fish yep and uh so it's big boy fishing you know i i had a couple of bouts this week i had to remind myself of that you know i'd go a few hours without really any good shots or action and uh you know we when we chatted all out it sounds like it's just mayhem all the time uh, yeah <laughs> it's not you've got periods of downtime and and you got to stay you know positive uh he's Especially that day when we had all the rain, you know, you just yeah. gotta make sure and stay positive, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we'll check back in uh, later this week. Uh, maybe, maybe after we get back, we're just not sure. We need to see. We're gonna fish really long again tomorrow. Uh, we're gonna fish. We, we we twisted the guide's arms to <laughs> stay a little late again tomorrow. We liked it so much. Uh, we'll take good care of those guys for doing that. But uh, we'll check back in later this week uh, with another update and. Uh, Hopefully, uh, hopefully with some more ports on, some good fish and some good action, we just uh, just pray that we have good weather for the next uh, last couple of days of this trip. So, uh, this has been the Angling Solutions uh, podcast with Red's Fly Shop and your host Joe Roder, and uh, we'll check back in with more action later this week. Well, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, or just find us on the web at RedsFlyShop.com.